Keeping Track, and you're listening to Molly Huddle, Alicia Montano, and Roisin McGettigan-Dumas. We want to highlight the important topics, inspiring stories, and amazing women in sport. We're three Olympians from two countries, two moms, and one current pro coming together to talk about issues we're passionate about in the sports world. And we care about the current and future landscape of women's sports. And this is just how we're keeping track. We talked today with high jump American record holder and Olympic medalist Shantae Lowe. She recently completed chemotherapy treatment for a breast cancer diagnosis, which she was training through in hopes of making her fifth Olympic team. We talk about that journey and her start in track and field and the many layers to her personal story, including a rough childhood, her focus on jumping, church and school, having the first of her three babies and how missing out on a medal due to a doped athlete affected her family's life. We talk about the financial side of being a field athlete and also what her intense training days resemble. Thanks for keeping track. A big shout out to Saucony for sponsoring our season two production costs. At Saucony, a good day is when we get to run. A great day is when we inspire someone else to run. Run for good and thanks for keeping track. Hey everyone, welcome back to Keeping Track. We're on season two, episode three. It's still me and Alicia hanging out. Um, we're at the end of September. So Alicia, it's officially fall. How are things going on your end? (laughs) (sighs) I actually, you're getting me at such a great time. I think, you know, if anybody follows me on Instagram, I fell flat on my face. Um, metaphorically speaking, just with the whole year finally came like to me, I feel like all my friends, I've been able to be honest about guys. I need to back off of this. I need to kind of like reel back this because it's just so much, especially with how we just weren't able to do as much as we normally do with the, you know, things being shut down and limited and especially having three kids. I think there was like a middle ground of people like, Oh, it's because you have three kids. I go, not really. I love having my three babies um, with some, what we wanted I don't think that's the hard part. It's the fact that you have three kids and everything around your world is just about you guys being stuck together all the time. And that's like not how it would have been naturally. Yeah. Um, like no school system, no healthcare right. system, no sports for them to do. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. So all of us and, and I, and I have to work. I came into this amazing year where, um, and you know, anybody might be like, what are you talking about amazing year? I'm just mean, like I worked so hard for, so many things that are actually like launched this year of all years. So many things launched and I'm so, I'm so proud of myself. I still am, but I like had no, I mean, it's like I'm fighting with my foundation and mother fighting with, I'm fighting for women, um, with, uh, my foundation and mother where we are allowing, we're trying to really accrue resources and, you know, um, increased visibility for women who want to pursue and also thrive in their career and motherhood. And with that being said, like, you know, I'm at the forefront of that fight and working through it. And so I don't, I'm not also, I'm not afforded maternity leave because I'm the one that's doing the work with my co-founder Molly Dickens. So it's so interesting. You've been building a runway. Like I'm stealing the Lindsay Krause quote I saw the other day about RBG, actually, how she built her own runway for years and then finally could take off. I feel like you've been building your runway, like with Ann Mother, with like, you've been just like hustling all year and now you're like, launch, 
Launch yes. projects. Yes. With that. And then even my book, my book, everybody, it's obviously going to continuously be for sale, even though I had my little, I, I think August, September, I really had to slow down with my kids not um, being able to do their pod camp. But we are, you know, I'm getting back into building content out for it. Um, and my my publisher, Velo Press, you know, all these things that happen, you see, to just you, you know, you're it's just to me, you know, it's not to you. There's all these other things that are happening. Velo Press had all these changes that happened within it. You know, um, my team that really was at the forefront of helping put together my book and conceptualize ideas, um, Renee Jardin left Velo Press and um, Kara Mannix, who is like, you know, she was all part of sales and helping me formulate ideas of who I want to target. Um, she left and I'm like, that was my core team. And so I have to also recalibrate that. So that was also heavy for me to try to figure out how I was going to do that. And I ultimately just had to take a break because I, mm-hmm. I was trying to figure it out for so long. So now you're getting at a really good time. Um, one, because my kids were able to go to pod camp Woo-hoo. and, <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and we've just got, um, Lennox home with us who, you know, takes an hour nap in the morning and then like a two hour nap in the afternoon. So that's not the hard part. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm really excited, Molly. What about you? I just kind of took the floor with yeah, my excitement. No, of I, actually, finally not being like, <laughs> I know. I feel like every podcast we're like, how are you? And we're all like, how? <laughs> but it's real talk. Um, yeah. I feel like what you mentioned about VeloPress reminded me at like how we're seeing kind of these like slow crumbles from the pandemic that are so upsetting. And mm-hmm. as it relates to the track world, I know we didn't talk about this in our pre-show, but we're seeing some programs get shut down, some men's programs. <sighs> how yeah. devastating is that? Like, I, I feel like the reasons are obviously ultimately financial, but they're also like, you know, often tied into Title IX, which I think mm-hmm. is sort of a misuse mm-hmm. of Title IX and sort of a confusing, totally. um, backwards, damaging. <laughs> totally, decision. totally. So, yeah, that's I been agree. a real bummer. I've been kind of noticing that the, t- the dominoes fall the last couple of weeks in a lot of different oh, schools. Yeah, and and you're right. It's just like also, you know, diversity and inclusion is very much within track and field. Um, and you know, when it comes to our men's sport, it affords so many opportunities um, that otherwise systems have oppressed, you know, people of color. And that is, a, a gosh, I can't, yeah, that's devastating in and of itself. And I feel like on a women's sports podcast, it would be actually poignant to have a, a guest, you know, mm-hmm. talk about that because it does matter from Title IX perspective. And that would be one of the instances we'd bring our men on, you know, just mm-hmm. kind of talk about the effects of having a program, uh, our men's programs cut. Um, and yeah, you know, this is one of the few instances where, uh, women, um, are surviving over, over, over men, but not something that we want to be happening. Not good for the overall health of the sport at all. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that definitely came to mind the last few weeks. So as I was looking through kind of some news stories, um, but that kind of ties into our guest, Shante, because if we yeah. are talking about anything um, policy related <laughs> and sports, it's kind of showing how intermingled they really are. And we can't really separate the two. Um, Shante actually has a big 
message in regards to um, female health with her story, some of the challenges she's gone through this year. And we know Shante as being the best high jumper in the US of A for the last, you know, many, many years. Um, we know her sports accolades, but I feel like we got to talk to her about sort of a whole different side of her and sort of some of the other journeys she had through the sport the last few years. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Talking to Shantae, I felt so much inspiration around the clock, like everything within my internal clock, my mental, my physical, like every part of my being was really buzzing having an opportunity to speak with her. And like you said, I think one of the things that stuck out the most to me um, in her story, I mean, there was so much guys, I'm not kidding. She should have a full on show that should air for 20 years straight. um, If the Kardashians can do it, (laughs) let's get some like, you know, amazing folks within there. But, um, you know, she talked about how essentially women's health is like the least prioritized and uh, her breast cancer and how she really wants to fight for policy change. Um, when women are kind of allowed to have within their annual exams, a mammogram and not at the age of 40, like before that, because there are women younger and younger that are, um, and increasingly, you know, having breast cancer at early stages and how it takes a lot away from them if we can't allow them an opportunity to find it a lot sooner. Um, so yeah, I'm with her on policy changes. And as we talk about policy change, Molly, um, you know, we are in a really very, uh, I don't know, like a really tough, but can be, um, amazing experience with 2020 where people are, have so many, uh, pieces of their foggy lenses kind of removed so we can get into voting season and really fight for policy changes and things that we need to, um, once we vote and, um, elect someone in leadership, that's going to help us get to where we need to be as a country. Yeah. So this is our voting PSA, but I do think there's been some confusion on the best way to vote. And I don't, I don't have answer to that. Let's talk about that. Yeah. I can talk about what I've decided to do. And I know I'm in a Mm -hmm. democratic state. I'm in Rhode Island, but you still have to get out and vote. If everyone thought like that, you know, the States would flip flop all over the place. So, um, I was going to mail in my ballot and I had it all ready. So in Rhode Island, you send in a request for a ballot to be sent to you. Um, and I decided not to put it in the mailbox because I think I'm going to vote early instead. And we have early voting here starting, I think, October 14th. And I think, you know, my understanding is that it's open then between the 14th and November 4th, right? Or November voting Mm -hmm. day. So Mm -hmm. I think that's a safe compromise to go do it in person, but maybe not on the most crowded day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, You are actually having me look into when our early... um, voting is because I was just going to go on voting day, which is crazy and go in person. Um, masked up and just masked up, like straight up. I was actually even thinking my, my, I had basically one route and you're just making me think, Oh, there might be another route I could Mm. go to. I had one route where I was going to go. I was going to get tested. So I wouldn't like, you know, I knew I was keeping my community as safe as, as possible. I was going to mask up. I was going to have my little face shield and just be like ready to vote in person because I just, I don't, I want for this vote to be, to count. I don't want it to, I mean, we are experiencing 
and we have experienced voter suppression, um, I do not want for my vote to be missed. And you might think people that are listening, what's well, one vote? No, you, if everybody thought one vote, like Molly said, we would not, um, we, we won't have what we need in order to um, improve our position in leadership. And uh, if, again, with voting PSA, I don't really care to um, hide who I'm voting for. I'm going for Biden-Harris, everyone. Um, I do think if you can just really think about, um, for me, if you just think about where things have been in the last four years, I don't feel like this is the trajectory I want to continue to go on. We need to allow somebody else an opportunity um, to lead us. And, um, you know, and I hear people talking about, you know, Biden being the lesser of two evils, then pick the lesser of two evils, guys. Um, I don't, to me, I just don't think that it's, we should continue on this same path. And so, you know, still love us. (laughs) If you, you know, disagree with me, it's okay to disagree, but I'm just letting you know what I'm about to do. (laughs) And yeah. Yeah. And just do, do your research, make your plan. Um, yeah. if you mailing it, if mailing it in is what's safest to you, you probably got to get your, um, stuff sent in a little early just to be sure. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. get on that now and mm-hmm. happy voting, <laughs> happy voting, or just get it done. Even if you're not happy. Yeah. And then, <laughs> again, if you've got changes that you want to, you, you know, there are things that you want to change, you have to know, and you have to vote and you don't only vote um, this year in November, but you have to come back and you have to vote at your local elections. And there are processes to making change happen. It isn't just uh, the president, just so you guys know. Um, and I think just trying to get re-education for a lot of people. I know there are people that might be listening and saying, I know, I know, but there are a lot of people that don't know that it isn't just on the president of how we make changes. And so um, it's just the, that checkpoint of, you know, checking mm-hmm. balances. And so, um, yeah, I just want to encourage you guys to vote not only in November or if you have early voting within, um, your state, but to come back and vote in your local elections and really do your research on changes that you want to happen and how they need to be made. It does matter for you to vote every single time there is an election. Yes. Yes. Um, and with that, we will let you go enjoy the inspiring story of Shante Lowe. Welcome back, everybody, to Keeping Track. We have a great guest today. We have the unstoppable Shante Lowe. I'm just going to read a brief bio for those of you that don't know Shante. She is attempting to make her fifth Olympic team in the high jump. Uh, she's a three-time medalist, indoor gold, world silver from 2005, and she's an upgraded Olympic bronze from 2008, which we will talk about. She's also the reigning American record holder with two meters 05 from 2010, and she is still going. Shante, thanks so much for talking to us. We're so excited to have you on today. <laughs> you don't understand. Thanks. thanks for having me I'm so sorry my schedule was bananas and it's just hard to find like moments for yourself yeah you don't even have to say I'm sorry honestly because we all know it and your world has been oh my gosh a lot has been going on you're a mom of three you are a training athlete but you also are you've just completed chemotherapy but have been undergoing chemotherapy for the last year 
Yeah, the whole process has been about a year from diagnosis to surgeries to chemotherapy. So I finished like just at the beginning of the year. So it was, it was about a year. Yeah. Mm. Wow. So can you tell us like a little bit, I know, um, you know, just to kind of jump right in there, I just think this is like the biggest battle. I mean, I don't want to put words in your mouth if there's been bigger battles, <laughs> but that you've, that you've been facing right now. Um, and, you know, just leading into um, Breast Cancer Awareness Month, um, I couldn't have been more timely, to be honest, that this was the space and time that worked out for your schedule. Um, can you just tell us about your diagnosis and your discovery of it? Because it was something that you advocated for yourself, right? No, absolutely. And I think that that's where the story always needs to start. A lot of you know, Noveline Williams Smith, I think the last name is now. And it started out because she was sharing her story where she had stage zero breast cancer. And before she competed in the Olympics, she found it herself. She went to the doctor and she said, even though she went and ran and ran that four by four relay, she had to go back right afterwards. And she had to have, um, she had to have that surgery where she, you know, had her breast tissue removed. I think she went for a double mastectomy, had the breast tissue removed, had everything put in. And then I saw her after that. And I was talking to her on a bus in Europe and I was like, man, how do you even do a breast exam? And she's like, you know, there's a lot of resources online. You just, you know, when you're in the shower, you just feel it. And she told me the story and, you know, I'm not going to say I didn't think anything of it, but at that point is when I started doing my own self breast exams, because like we're athletes, we're in shape, we're taking care of our bodies. Like those things don't happen to us yet. And still it happened to her. And so, you know, I was doing my own self-breast exam and I want to say I probably felt it within two weeks of it forming because I made sure that I did it every month at the beginning of the month. So they have this thing called fill it on the first. And so I was just, you know, doing my breast exam and I felt this itsy bitsy tiny, maybe half of a grain of rice size lump and immediately booked an appointment, went to the doctor and it wasn't even on the breast. It was like up high. So I'm like, eh, is that technically a breast? Is it lower collarbone? Whatever. I went in. This is the part of the story that probably everyone always asked me if I was mad. And I could be had I, it not turned out good. But basically, I went in for the doctor. They did not want to give me a ultrasound or a mammogram because I was too young. At the time, I was 34. And I was just like, I knew that going in. So I said some things that I won't say on air, <laughs> but I said some things to make sure that they gave, well, I, I let them know that people in my family had tested positive of breast cancer. Um, who knows if that was true or not? Nobody knows. But, <laughs> but um, what I have learned at this point now, if you want to get a mammogram and they won't give you one, you say, I want you to write in my book that you are refusing to give me this test. And nine mm -hmm. times out of 10, they will give it to you immediately. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that at the time. So I had to do something else. And that's, that's so important to advocate for yourself as you've proven, um, not only as a woman going in to get a medical exam, but as a black woman going in to get a medical exam, we've seen the statistics that the um, healthcare in this country is really, that's an area where it slips through the cracks. So I feel like I know we're diving in with this story, but I feel like that's yeah. because that's like one of the most important takeaways from this podcast is that you've done that for yourself. And yeah. it's like a very good example of that. Yeah. I mean, I think that, that was just hit the nail on the head with what Molly's saying in terms of just, you know, being um, black in America fighting through all of these systems that have all these biases within it, you know, 
um, fearful of being the loud, angry, black, dramatic woman when you're coming in and you're saying, I know myself. I just also happen to be black. Stop painting that as a picture of something that dismisses and invalidates um, me. Um, So I really appreciate you saying that. I'm like doing a breast exam myself. (laughs) Um, I love that tip for everyone to just remember, feel it on the first. I'm going to start doing that. Um, And you're right. I feel like, you know, just to kind of, um, to just say in general, you know, not knowing how to do a, a breast exam I'm definitely within that category and especially breastfeeding. You're like, is this just like extra milk? (laughs) Um, so yeah, that's really important. I'm going to do that. So thank you so much for that. Um, and we, this is going to be something that we're going to keep coming back to within, obviously this is a huge part of your story, but I do want to take it back a little bit to just, you know, knowing yourself, how does like Shantae knows herself? How did that come to be? Let's talk about it, getting into the sport in itself you know, becoming an athlete, how did that pan out for you? Yeah. I think like when you start with talking about knowing yourself, I think as athletes, we're privileged in that way where we know if something's a little bit tight, we are constantly doing a gauge, a monitor, a check of what our body feels like. And it's not just, if it's not our bones, our muscles, our joints, you know, whether or not we're tired, whether we're hungry, whether we have energy, whether we don't, we're constantly doing those gauges. And so we know what our normal is. And the biggest thing surrounding like even, you know, breast cancer is like, know your normal. So as athletes, we know what's normal for us and we know when we're not normal. And the great thing about being athletes, we kind of know how to manipulate things to make us feel normal. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And um, I think that, you know, for me, I always wanted to run track, you know, for me getting into it. I watched the Olympics, the 1998 Olympics when I was four. I saw Flojo. I was like, oh my gosh, that's it. I'm going to be an Olympian. You know, everyone thought I was crazy, but like, I knew that's what I wanted to do. And, you know, everyone usually gravitates towards the sprints, you know, power, speed. And I knew that my love was jumping. So even though it was like a different event where generally girls that look like me didn't do the event, I didn't care. Like I wanted to do the high jump. And, and I just started in middle school. I think middle school, I think, just trying it out. And my first high jump competition was against Chelsea. Oh, what's her last name? Um, that pole vaulter, Chelsea Hardy. Yeah. So in middle school, who was jumping against her? She, we were both high jumping. That's so awesome. I love it. So where are you from again? California. I'm from Riverside. And I was born in like San Luis Obispo area. So we were at a Tascadero middle school when we competed against each other. That's so awesome. And so, all right. So you're making it seem like very streamlined. I just started jumping. I'm like, you know, woo, girl, look at me. I'm an Olympian. I'm, I have all these accolades. But there are so many, uh, I guess, layers to your story. I mean, there yes. are lots of layers to your story. And I think the struggles in between, you know, you um, coming into this amazing athlete as a middle schooler through high school going through the college years and post. Can you tell us um, about that? And the reason why I'm just going to kind of throw this in there a little bit, you guys, um, Shante, like we mentioned at the beginning, she has been upgraded to bronze medals. And I think sharing the pieces of stories that allow for people to see, you know, the struggles that get them to where they are and then to have that stolen from them, you know, in a moment that should have been theirs from the get-go, I think is really important. So this part of Shante's story, I think is really important for our listeners to really humanize the climb to, you know, 
our successes and the, you know, just really recognizing how much more difficult it is when you have those pieces of your story and to not get your moment at the time that you deserve your moment. So Shonda, can you take us into a little bit um, of that journey? Yeah. And and it's funny. I don't do it. I do it inadvertently, but like I do jump from like, yes, I wanted to become Olympian. Then it happened. But the reality is that, you know, I struggled a lot. So in sixth grade, um, we actually lost our home. And so I was homeless with my mom. We were living in the car. I eventually had to move to the Southern part of California. That's why I say I'm from two parts. I had to move with my grandmother and like my sisters, my mom were my world. And I was like ripped out of that world to go to a place where I could be taken care of. Just so happens the high school that I went to had a great legacy in track and field. And they were coming up as I entered that school. So, you know, in the California state system, we have one, like one state champion. And the school that I went to, we were the state champions three out of the four years there. So I was like, okay, God, your provision through all that mess was there. And, you know, my father, he's somebody I wanted to have in my life but he struggled with addictions that kept him imprisoned my whole entire life. So I had, you know, I had my grandma and I had extended family, but my immediate family was removed from me. And so I poured a lot of what I had. I went to two places, church and school. And when I was at school, I did my grades and I made sure that I poured everything, every hurt, every pain, every, you know, adversity on the track. And by doing that and just being in a perfect storm of like God's provision, I ended up having an opportunity to go to almost any school I wanted to when it came, you know, time. And, you know, my goal and my focus was that if I want my life to be different, if I never want to be put in a position where my kids were thrown out in the street with their stuff or ever having to be separated from me, I need to get my education. And so literally running for a different life, I landed at Georgia Tech. And I think at that time, it was probably one of the hardest decisions I had to make because I wanted to make sure I went to a school where I can get a great degree that would carry me throughout life. But also, I wanted to be with a coach that had a record of taking people to the Olympics. And I got that first opportunity my sophomore year. And um, I think like, you know, everyone who go, I don't know, I don't know about, about everyone, but going to my first Olympics, I jacked up big time. <laughs> It, it was it was real yeah. how about you how was it how was it for you like going and this interview is about you girlfriend <laughs> <laughs> sorry my no, I, can, I can't imagine though like Alicia yeah, imagine yeah. showing up as what how old were you like 19 maybe 20 I would 20. be so starstruck I mean I would be just like, I was I can't believe I'm here oh wait I gotta right? focus on getting over this bar like <laughs> That was it. I was extremely starstruck. I mean, like I saw the women. I was like, oh my gosh, I learned how to jump from you in my high jump video, like my VHS. Yes. You know, Amy, was that Amy Acuff uh, who you were jumping yes. against at that time? It was That's- Amy, Tisha Waller. But like when I went to the, like I got used to seeing them because, you know, being in the U.S. circuit, it was when I went yeah. overseas and I saw like the medalist and I was like, oh God, oh Lord. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. But like yeah, I couldn't imagine. And- I mean, if just to say, I couldn't imagine making the team at, you know, 18, 19 years old. I probably I didn't even have a boat. passport. It was it was rough. I didn't even have a passport. So after I made the team, like literally we had to go to San Francisco to get me a passport. So I could go. But um, I love it. you know, the, the so that was my sophomore year. 
the next year I went to Helsinki and it was like the world championships. And I, I was able to fight through that mental barrier and get a silver medal. Even though Sorry I to was, cut you off really quick, just to reverse everybody, ahead. Helsinki 05 is a world championship. So she, oh, my bad. She got the, <laughs> yeah, <we're>, <laughs> she got the silver medal at world championships after the 04 Olympics. Okay, yes. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> and so then I went professional and um, I kind of took a year off from school, uh, met a fine dude, got married, hey. And then, and then um, we went, I think, so we got married in 2005, right after Helsinki. And then in 2007, we found out we were expecting our first child. And I still hadn't finished school. And remember that goal was like, oh my gosh, what if I don't make it and get back in shape? Like I need to have my education. So I took 49 credit hours my senior year, which is, I had to get special permission to do that. One year. and. I was pregnant. No, so it was 2006 we found out we were having a baby. She was born 2007 in like July 30th. And then we had less than one year to get ready to make that Olympic team. And so I graduated May 3rd. And then I tried out for the team June. So this is 2008. And I went to that games. I was like, what happened to me in Athens is not happening again. And I competed the best that I could possibly compete. Two women ended up breaking the Olympic record <laughs> and I finished sixth. And I was like, look, I jumped the highest I could possibly jump. I am not upset. It just is what it is. And I was able to live with it. But like getting to that point, I mean, nursing baby all night, working out sometimes at 4.30 in the morning, like whenever I could, like, like nursing her in between jumps. It was a lot going to school, finishing classes. It was hell, like <laughs> to be honest. Mm-hmm. And, um, but then, you know, fast forward to 2016, we find out that at that Olympic games where I should have, I should have been on the podium, three women cheated. And mm-hmm. it's like, it sucks because after that we experienced a foreclosure because, you know, Money dries up if you don't medal. So yeah. literally I left the Olympics hoping that I would get a medal to earn some you know, additional cash. And I remember coming directly from the Olympics and sitting in my kitchen with my baby packing up our house because we couldn't afford to keep it. And it mm. just, it sucked. And then to find out that we didn't have to go through that was, was a hard pill to swallow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was especially at the, t- that was um, in the time of our recession in 2007, 2008. Um, and I want to just dive into that a little bit, like the business of the sport and also Shantae, you being a field eventer, you know, Mm -hmm. you should, again, we mentioned her accolades in the beginning. You should be one of those athletes that we are seeing all over the Wheaties boxes and all of this stuff with, um, the money that you've afforded yourself in the business that you're in, you know, like anybody else in any profession gets promoted because of the work that they've done really well. Um, and I know you fast forwarded from, you know, 08 to 16. There's a whole lot more in there, babies as well, everybody. Um, (laughs) and I I just want to mention like the point that you said about coming back after, um, in 2008, after finishing sixth place, finding out later that that was a bronze. And then that hardship that you faced though, that you couldn't have seen that that was going to come back to you, but you, you, (laughs) did you kind of know that there's a potential that these women were doping or did you kind of just take it for face value? 
I think for me, I always take it at face value. And the reason why is because my mental is so instrumental in the way that I train. So if I feel like I'm constantly going up against um, people that are cheating, I'm going to feel hopeless. And so I could not allow not one seed of hopelessness to be planted in my mind. So mm-hmm. in my mind, everyone was clean. And mm-hmm. that's how that's I good. tackled it. Because if yeah. you think they're doping, you feel like you can't beat them. Yeah. You yeah. do have to put it out there. I mean, I feel like in, for me, I, I did I did know, but at the same time, you're right. You You reset your mental and just kind of you know, play as you can play your cards. Cause that's all you've yep. got. You can't really control that side of things, but, um, on the business aspect of things, you know, you talked about going through foreclosure. Um, can you tell us to help our audience understand how you feel the business of track and field works? If you think it's fair for athletes, um, when it comes to, you know, the organizers of the sport, making tons of money, staying in five-star, you know, establishments, and then everything being on the line with, medals and how we even, how you even make money in the first place? Well, for me, I made a tremendous amount of money. Like I said, I won a medal. There's a tremendous amount of money in winning medals. So I won a medal in 2005. I got a, um, I had a contract. I was doing good. I went to the meets. I was winning. So I wasn't one of the ones that wasn't making good income, but coming from extreme amount of poverty not understanding money management, not understanding conservation, saving. I was making it rain. <laughs> like, <laughs> mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. think that probably the best thing that happened because of that is I realized that you have to save for a rainy day. You have to understand that you are, we have a small amount of years to make kind of like a lifetime of money. And it, and it could be if, if we do it the right way. So for me, I don't necessarily blame an establishment because I had a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I had to learn money management for myself. And when I started learning money management, um, things are different. I could live off of a lot less now. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's mm-hmm. what it was for me. Mm-hmm. That's so great to just... Mm-hmm. I forget. I was talking to you years ago and I thought you said you were getting, um, I don't know if it was like a degree or you worked sort of in something related to finance. Can you talk a little bit about that like side life that you have? Cause I was super <laughs> impressed. You were like trading or you were doing something like baller as well as training. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So after that point, like I said, I, I heard a quote from, um, Shaquille O'Neal, which is crazy, but <laughs> But he was like, you know, your athletic ability gives you your money, but your education will help you keep it. And mm-hmm. he actually went back to school and learned finance. because He was like, a lot of people got rich off of me, but now I'm going to learn how to make it work for me. And so my degree was in economics. Um, I went back and I started learning how to trade. I was like, look, this is a way that a lot of people are making an income. Like, what is this whole market about? I really didn't understand it. And so I began... I opened up a TD Ameritrade account and I started practicing trading. They had like a paper platform. So I, I paper, which means like simulated platform where you could make trades without losing the money. And um, from that point, I started really developing more of a long-term investing strategy, knowing that there's not a quick way. If you can make money very fast, you could also lose it very fast. And so I started yeah. learning um, a holistic planning type, um, structure. I started realizing that I didn't believe in debt. Um, and I, I made a career out of it. So I've been in the financial services industry. Ooh, gosh, eight years now. Yeah. Maybe eight or nine years. Can you elaborate on not believing in debt? 
Yes, because when when you have debt, somebody could take away from you what you've worked hard for. And, um, you know, I think that sometimes buying a, well, most times buying a house is a necessary debt. But for instance, my husband was talking to me today. He's like, look, my car is about to die. I need a new car. And he's had his car since 2012. So like we run our cars into the ground. And and he was like, um, I need a new car. And I was like, he was like, I don't know if I feel comfortable with this payment. I was like, what you could do, let's just start saving. However much you think the car payment's going to be, start saving it every month now. So number one, you could see if you feel comfortable with that payment without having the marriage to a car. Because anything that you get on debt, you marry, right? So then I was like, you know, you do that first. But then number two, if you've saved that money, save it until your car literally dies. If your car lasts another three years, that's three years of car payments that you're not going to have to make. And Mm -hmm. so for me, I always look for ways to eliminate debt. Sometimes you have to do it, but I own zero credit cards. Like I, I don't play that game. (laughs) I think you and I kind of have similar (laughs) thoughts on things like that. I remember, uh, just to share a little anecdote when I was, um, pregnant with Linnea and I was like, okay, I'm not going to be earning any prize money this year, but all the money, so all the money that I have for my salary, I want it to stay there. So I was like training clients. I was doing all this stuff where it stayed and it didn't just go somewhere because I wasn't earning something. So the finance situation of a professional track athlete is one that's like kind of weird because, and I don't, I don't want to get too deep into this because Shante has like way more life to talk about. (laughs) It is like, um, it's like medium wealth management, right? Like you're not like in the NBA, but you, you do have to save for, um, your life after tracks somehow with mm-hmm. that income. And so if you're going to buy a house, for example, and you use like, oh, like this mortgage calculator, I made this this year, I'll put it in. Oh, wow, I can get this much house. Not if you're a track athlete, because you're going to yep. stop. So there's all these little lessons that um you nearly like could take like a class. Like, I don't know if USATF has that or is going to make that, or we just don't know about it. But We hire Shantae we and hire Lauren Shantae. Williams. To- Lauren and Shantae need to <laughs> yes. make a package so that future athletes, yeah, have their yes. um, appropriate budgets set. Yeah. I know that Lauren helps out with that too. Um, and you're right. It's like, we don't have, we're not, we don't have this tremendous amount of wealth, but we do get large sums of money very quickly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, but then and you don't, you have to conceptualize, okay, this goes to the agent. Exactly. This goes to tax. Yep. It's a lot. It's right. You know, you yep. really do have to like have someone sit down and point that out. Yeah. No, and the part, you, the part you mentioned about the mortgage is also interesting that you were even able to get a house because I think a lot of athletes not, you know, I'm also in the same category where I've been able to secure longer um, contracts, but mm-hmm. if they get a year or two year contracts, that's not helpful because they can't prove to an underwriter, like, I'm going to, I'm probably going to get this renewed. Maybe and they're like, yeah. oh, girl, I'm not giving you, <laughs> but you know what? I also recommend that athletes get a job. You know, that's yes. one of the things mm-hmm. that I think that, you know, mm-hmm. if you think of that as like, like your sugar daddy, your track is your sugar daddy, get a job. <laughs> 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 oh, <God>. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone <laughs> disclaimer. <laughs> don't get sugar daddy. No, 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 no. Not unless I said it's let's track. Okay. It's, a, it's a metaphor. It's a metaphor. Don't it's get a, a real a, sugar daddy. No, no. No. Um, I, 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 we're gonna I'm sweating over here, you guys. Me too, uh, Shante, right? I miss you. I miss you so much. Um yeah, I, I I hear what you're saying on that whole aspect. The point about that though is we're gonna bring it back to Shante. It's kind of hard for longer, the longer you are in distance, 
that time that you need to like run and the double days and then the weights and the PT, it eliminates your ability to even get a nine to five in the meantime. I think there's other interesting ways. Yeah. Part-time to be something, but I always think about that for longer distance athletes because it's like, when do you, when could you do anything else? (laughs) Well, my trainings were really long too. So like like my training were like, could be up to six hours, you know, a day. So it's Mm -hmm. not easy, but if you could find a job that will hire you for, you know, three hours a day or Mm -hmm. three days a week or something. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So there's like substitute teaching or, you know, something like that. Hey everyone who's keeping track with us, it's Molly here, and I'm going to take a little break to give you a workout nutrition tip sponsored by Gatorade Endurance. I get asked a lot about marathon fueling, strategies for race day, and training. The goal in training is to dial it in for race day. I do that with everything. I dial it in with my shoes, my paces, the long run, and I even sometimes practice wearing my race uniform. I rely on the Gatorade Endurance products, especially the gels for marathon training. The gels sit great in my stomach and they have refreshing natural flavors and they're a really easy consistency for fueling at top speed, which is nice. Um, It makes sense to dial it all in by practicing your fueling on training runs and to practice the things you plan to replicate on course or in your virtual race day coming up. You can see what form is easiest for you, the gels, the chews, or the drinks, how much of them you can handle, how often to take them, and how to get those carbs from table to hand to mouth, all while not missing a step. Even though there aren't races on the calendar this season, we can spend a few months dialing in the details so on race day, being our best will be as familiar as your favorite long run route. Head over to GatoradeEndurance.com and use our discount code of TRACK20 for a 20% off. So can we segue quickly into your training? Because, um, so I remember we've been on a couple of teams together, I think Shante, but I remember in Rio Mm -hmm. watching you at the practice track one day when I was done waiting for the bus and you were like going over hurdles, like fast, not hurdle drills. Like you were doing, (laughs) um, like you train really intense. And so I always, Mm -hmm. I have no idea what it's like to train as a high jumper. Can you take us a little bit through your training days? I know you like are one of the most intense, um, and hardworking high jumpers out there. And that's why you're one of the best. Oh yeah. And uh, just to bring another point too, I remember in 2010, we were in Doha and she was getting ready to like jump in her final. And she's like, I got to get to the weight room. She was like busting <laughs> like full on squats, RDLs, like doing Olympic lifts, like before her final. Um, yeah, you're a G. So tell us all about, about your training. Yeah. So you guys, so I'm, I talk a lot and you're going to hate this answer. I still think I could be competitive. I ain't telling nobody Jack Diddley. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love it. T- I you love know, it. Yeah. Don't give us Next your year. secrets. Don't give us your secrets. But like, you, can you tell us like, um, kind of what you alluded to before? Like how much time are you in the gym a day? Yeah. What maybe the schedule. Day? Yeah. Yeah. So I you don't say, give us the sauce. Don't give us the sauce. <laughs> I ain't giving the sauce. Look, <laughs> look if you would have caught me like a month ago, I'd be like, oh, whatever here. But like now I'm like, wait, training's going good. So we're going to yeah. start sh- we're going to take these pictures down. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so I get up at 4.30 in the morning and I do my morning workout. No, sorry. <laughs> um, I get up at 4.30 in the morning and I think probably the biggest thing for me is injury prevention. So it's like, you know, our, our jump is essentially sprinting, then backflipping, 
and then landing on a mat without touching a bar. So um, I have to make sure that I have all those elements of my body prepared. Um, I definitely focus a lot on like, I don't know if you guys remember a couple of years ago, there was a philosophy that stretching was bad for you. Do you guys remember that? Mm-hmm. So the one yeah. year I listened to that, I got hurt. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. No. So I, yeah. believe, I believe in stretching and preparing my body to be able to compete. I also believe that there's no substitute for hard work. And I think that a lot of people are always looking for what's, what drill can you do? What's this? What's that? And when you start focusing on that, you're not going to get the results that you want. So for me, mm. I'm old school. If I want to jump higher, then I need to jump higher. If I want to run faster, then I need to run faster. If I want to get stronger, I need to, you know, get stronger. do things to make me get stronger. And so that's, that's pretty much, it's like realistically, it. that's it in a nutshell. And I think that it's like, oh, I got to time my interval and make sure that my parabolic intake is like, who cares? Like yeah. we breathe oxygen when we run. We exhale, you know, carbon dioxide. Like it's not that anyway. No, I love you. And I feel you. I feel like we've talked about things like this. Like the old school method is actually really great in a lot of ways because it eliminates too much thought. I think, I do think a lot of the younger athletes expect for you to have this like witchcraft, like voodoo um, (laughs) regimen of things that you do and take and eat. And you're like, yeah, you know, I'm healthy. Yep. I do healthy things, but, um, yeah, I, I love it. So with that said though, with your schedule and now, you know, bringing it back to your diagnosis with breast cancer mm-hmm. and that obviously had to change up your schedule a lot. Um, and then yeah. you know, can you tell us about how you were able to continue training with that diagnosis and things that you've maybe implemented to kind of, you know, uh, make sure that you can boost your immune system while you were fighting your cancer and how you're doing right now. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Okay. Please. Okay, okay. Yes. Have, you're going to have to remind me some of those questions. <laughs> how do you do um, it? Yes. Right. How do you do know, it? You know. <laughs> okay. So, um, all right, what was the first question again? <laughs> really my question to just simplify it is, you know, you with your breast cancer diagnosis, yeah. how did you manage your schedule, your training schedule okay. to work with that? Got it. So mm-hmm. I will say like, like kind of segueing between what we're talking about with nutrition and then the diagnosis. I think that the one regret that I have is that I was so focused on not testing positive that I wouldn't take anything. And mm. so putting my body through all of that stuff, I don't think I put myself in the best position to be able to fight things off. And mm. I was focused more on what I didn't eat. And I stood my hat on that. Like, I don't eat this. I don't eat that. I don't drink. I don't do drugs. I, you know, and then not focusing on what to put in it. So like mm. huge biggest change is like now I focus on what I put in my body. I make sure that I have a significant, and I, I've noticed distance runners do that a lot more than we do, but I focus on getting a significant jumpers amount do, of means. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, jumpers, jumpers, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I get a significant amount of leafy greens right now. Like if there was a study and says that it kills cancer cells, I eat it in abundance and I make, make sure that I know that. So I think that's like the biggest change that's happened because of all this. And I think it's like, it was kink in my armor. But like Mm -hmm. when it came to the process of chemotherapy, like chemo is no joke. And it's not like we're so used to being able to control everything. It literally takes you from like 100 to negative three, like, like, like you have nothing. And if you've ever, 
ran the 400. I don't know if you get lactic acid after you run the eight, but like that feeling where your legs are so full and your butt just hurts, <laughs> like your back and your soul. That's how I felt every single day. Mm, so every shoot. run, it, it's, it was intense. And I was like, but my thought process was like, ooh, if I could run with this, imagine when it's gone. This going to feel good. <laughs> yeah. But I went from running like six minute miles to like trying my hardest and running like 15 minute miles. And I think that that was, if you could, as a runner, I double, almost tripled my time. That is how you could um, liken chemotherapy. That's what chemotherapy does. So, mm-hmm. um, but like being an athlete or coming back from pregnancy has taught me so much. And it's not so much about what you could do and how quickly you could do it. It's about getting a little bit better every day. And mm-hmm. so I just focused on one thing. I was like, okay, my mile time, that's the marker. I don't care about jumping. I don't care about lifting. Just let's get that mile time down. So now I can run a mile in like 602 and it's like, it's not even hard. I could come back in five minutes and run another one. And Mm -hmm. so that's where it's like, you know, but like my jumping kind of sucks. So, but I'm just taking it one step at a time and being patient with myself and knowing that I've done this three times before. So like, you know, for listeners, I have three kids now. So I know that it's something that could be done. Did I answer the question? <laughs> yes. No, I mean, in a lot of ways it did. It just, you, you talked about your mindset, you know? Um, yeah. And I think the biggest thing that you did mention about your, you know, uh, not so much focusing on what you're not putting in your body, but what you are actually putting into it. Um, yeah. I think when, uh, just to kind of elaborate on that question, like the daily schedule with, um, yeah. with um, chemotherapy, were you able okay. to include your, I mean, you, you were training through for this, the 2020 yeah. Olympics and that entire time yeah. you were going through chemotherapy, was it still like a seven day a week training schedule? Was it three day a week? Were you just trying to get a walk in wherever you can? Okay. I know she's not giving us the sauce yeah. even with chemotherapy, but no, no, you know, I can tell can you just... with that. I could tell you with that. <laughs> okay. So like chemotherapy is different. Like, like all, like I didn't realize how many different types of cancers there are, how many types of chemotherapy I thought like in my mind, it was like, you go every single day, they hook you up to a machine and you mm. like, it's not like, so for me, it wasn't like that. So typically for breast cancers and it's specifically the type that I had, um, they take you, you do it once every three weeks. Mm. So, but each, but it's like running interval running where the first one is like, okay, that wasn't so bad. And the second one was like, Ooh, okay. I felt that a little bit, but I got this. And each one gets progressively to the last one. You're crying, throwing stuff at your coach, sending him hate mail. Like, got it. Like that's how it is. So like the first one, I think I was able to, I was able to jog. I was able to jog and like maybe stride some 200s on the concrete. That, that was about it. But like, then by the day three, after the first round, I was able to do stairs. Right. Mm -hmm. But, and then by the time I got to the next treatment, I was doing full workouts. So each day Mm -hmm. I was able to do it. Um, But after each treatment, I probably slept for about three days, Mm -hmm. like solid, like, like woke up to go to the bathroom type thing. And, you know, I'll give you guys some of the sauce of chemotherapy, like the side effects are, are different. (laughs) So like, 
you know, you get, y'all ready for this? I don't know how your show gets, but. <laughs> no, we can keep it as real as real can be. Yep. Okay. So you get, you get hemorrhoids, right? Mm-hmm. You get mouth sores. So like my, uh, my whole mouth had sores in it and my throat had sores in it. You know, I had hemorrhoids. I had a rash from the front to the back. So like, it was like everything hurt. Then on top of that, um, I had like, I don't know, it's like the horrible throbbing feeling where it feels like you're having a heart attack. So like, even when I wanted to work out, it was kind of hard. I was nauseous all the time. Um, and so there was, it was a lot like just to get up every day and be able to go to work out. But like my thought process was like, I'm not doing this for me. They're like, like the statistic is alarming that one in eight women in their lifetime will be diagnosed. One in eight. Can, like, can you, will be diagnosed with breast cancer. That's not even colon cancer, you know, kidney cancer. Like that's just breast cancer. And I thought about like, I come from a family of like five sisters. I have two daughters. Like I have 13 female cousins on one side, 20 on the other. Statistically, they should get this. And I'm like, heck no. Like they're, and the numbers are increasing. So something is causing this. And I felt like if I could use my platform to figure out what that something is or get more girls to feel their boobs on the first. And I, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. if I could do that, then I'm doing my part. And like the girls are younger and younger. And, and it's like, for me, the doctor told me that first time I went, he said, I will see you in six years. He grabbed his boobs and said, you need to gain some weight. He told me it was a lymph node and said, I want to see you in six years. Had I listened to him, I would be dead. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh -uh. Yeah. That is so crazy. Well, thank you for, you're so inspirational. Honestly, all of this, I feel inspired to get out there, get (laughs) strong, to watch what I'm eating, to feel my boobs. Yeah. All the things. All the things. Shantae, can you tell us who are you working with the Cancer Society or a specific organization? At the moment, to help. Yes, yes. Um, look, I'm working with any and everybody who's fighting against breast cancer. My biggest um, things that I want to get out is number one, I want legislation to change, and I think mm. that um, you know they, the, they. He told me to come back in six years because you don't get your first mammogram till you're 40. Yet I was sitting in there with a girl who had stage three breast cancer getting treated. She was 21, and like chemotherapy makes you sterile in many cases. Mm. I literally went through menopause at 35. Like I have hot flashes and all like, like, and it, it takes your fertility in many cases. So like, if we don't change this, we're not even giving these girls a chance to be moms, Mm. have a family, have like, you can have a life and then lose that, you Mm. know, win Mm -hmm. the battle to save your life and then lose the battle to procreate. Like that's, to me, it's bananas. So like, I want, I want to figure out a way, like by the time you're 18, get a, they should have ultrasounds. If you go get your little female check, it's not that hard to take an ultrasound machine and, and check. So mm-hmm. definitely um, that's what I'm pushing for. I want more research for, um, for breast cancer. And I want women to, I want it to be regular. If you know how to wipe your behind, you should know how to do a breast exam. Like that's how regular I want it to be. And I feel like the over-sexualization of breast is making it hard to have these conversations that are very important. Mm-hmm. And um, like even during, like I would have thought 
you don't check during when you're bre- uh, breastfeeding. That's not true. I, I've met women who found it during breastfeeding. So, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and help, helping us also differentiate a clogged duct. Versus, yes. Uh, yeah. That's so important. Yeah. And you're right. You know, when it comes to health, women's health is usually like the last thing that yep. is, you know, prioritized. And there's so many, you know, aspects to our health. I mean, to everyone's health in general, but to women, you know, we have periods and ovaries and breasts and breast tissue. Yes. And there's so, yeah, you're right. There's so much that isn't talked about, especially when we even mention things like breasts or periods. It's like, yep. oh my God, and you're like, this <laughs> is a natural part of life. Mm-hmm. I love it so much. And, and whatever ways um, you find that you'd like for our audience to kind of help um, share the message of, of, you know, helping change legislation and prioritizing women's health. Um, where can we follow you to continue to share that? Yeah. So the main way that I, um, communicate is through Instagram when I'm talking about what I'm doing or what projects that I'm working on. Um, I know that I'm going to start doing one called know your girls because black women are 40% more likely to die of breast cancer than our white women counterparts. And like Molly was saying earlier, it's because we're not listened to, we have less access to great healthcare. And, um, you know, a lot of times we don't even know what to look for. So, um, I think that, you know, definitely just, you know, checking in on me there. If you don't check in on me, at least go to Susan G. Coleman or the American Cancer Society. But if you're specifically looking for breast cancer, go to a, you know, I, I definitely check out a breast cancer awareness website. Yeah. I love it. I love it. And so 2021 is on the, you know, the scope for you. Um, and we're going to be rooting for you towards that. You'll have chemotherapy behind you. However, yes. still, you know, uh, something that you get to use within your mental scope. So, um, you know, we're going to be cheering you on and, you know, I just want to just say, I feel like we've ran through so many amazing parts of your story and this can be, you know, a two day discussion, if not more. And that's why I really encourage people to keep following Shantae Lowe on Instagram at what is it? Shantae Lowe. <laughs> at Shantae Lowe. Lowe. I just keep it simple. And yeah. we'll link it. We'll link um, that in the show notes. And we're going to link yep. some of Shantae's um, jumps in the show notes because you want to watch her compete because she's really oh, fun to watch. Like she has the fastest <laughs> approach that you will see. And she also has some like cute little dances if she gets a good jump. So we're, yes. we'll <laughs> she's, yeah, she's one to watch everyone. And again, like she says, she's has three kids and she's come back every single time and just like killed it after every single baby. So, um, you know, again, before we let you go, I do want to say, you know, the, the purpose of our podcast is to make sure that we can share more stories about women in sport. And if there's anything that we've left out, please let us know before we part ways. Yeah. You know, I have a tremendous amount of respect for both of you guys. Um, you played a huge role in my career and just like feeling like it was a safe place, an amazing place, somewhere excited that I wanted to be every single year. And um, I, I thank you for giving me the platform to be able to share with you. And I just, you know, this, this journey is, is not just for me. It's like for all of you guys, my sisters, and you know, it sucks, obviously, that I had to go through it. But I think that you know, the biggest thing for me is that I remain positive, you know, Mm. throughout the entire thing. I never let go of hope. Um, always looking for the bright and positive side of every bad situation. Um, getting the metal late, I was excited because I had three kids that wouldn't have been able to appreciate it. And they were in my metal ceremony and, you know, breast cancer is 
probably the worst thing that has ever happened in my life. However, it's opened up a great dialogue. And I think that more lives will be saved because of me being able to use my platform and encouraging other people to not be scared to share their story. So just doing my part. And oh, oh my goodness. Number one, God is the reason why I'm not great. He's great. If it wasn't for him, I would not be here. <laughs> You're so amazing, Shante. You really are. Thank you so much for being a part of my life. And very early, I remember, you know, jumping on the scene and you've just always been so positive and excited. You were so excited for me when I won my first medal indoors. Yes, I was. I, I, I was shaking like, oh my God, I'm like a beauty queen. <laughs> so thank you so much. Yes. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Shante. You've always been one of my favorites to watch. I've always been rooting for you. And this is just another inspiring piece of your story, something else that you have like blasted through like you do with everything else. So um, we want to leave everyone with, um, this will come out on the 30th. And so tomorrow is the first of the month. And so please feel it on the first, ladies, all of you. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Thanks for keeping track. Keep track. Keep track. Major shout outs to What Cheer Writers Club Podcasting Studio, a nonprofit supporting Rhode Island's content creators and where Roshin and I record, and to Rudy Nakashima for our funky outro song. Thanks, guys. Women's Running Stories, where we explore the intersection between running and life. Because every woman who is committed to a running journey has a story to tell, and this is where you'll find those stories. I am host and producer Sheree Louise Turner. I'm a 53-year-old runner, and together with original music by musician and runner Cormac O'Regan, we bring these inspirational stories to life. Please join us to fuel your adventures.